I gotta admit, I, I wrestled about the sermon this morning, what exactly we're supposed to be uh, hearing from the Lord about. I, I, I uh, was asked, and I immediately asked the Lord what what you want, and I felt like He gave me a, a topic of a message to consider and to and to study out, and I started immediately to start writing down a bunch of notes, like in the middle of a sermon. I, I, my apologies to whoever was preaching that day, but um, I just started writing out all these notes and. I thought that was good, and this is this is obviously what the Lord wants. And then I sat down on the computer to to start working on it, and I re- realized that there's a sermon that that actually I felt called to preach a long time ago, and did some a lot of work on, and this idea that um, can you outsin God's grace? Uh, there is a you, you got to wonder, you know, God. This is an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God who initiated a way of grace for us to be saved. Uh, you know, how can a force that is stronger, what force could there possibly be that is stronger than his will for his work in us to be completed? And it begs the question, can we outsend God's forgiveness? And so I sat down on the computer and said, okay, Lord, is that what you want? Because I, I do have a lot of work towards that already. I could start I could start in on that sermon with my feet running, as it were. And as I typed in sermon, uh, July 3rd, 2022, I thought, well, Lord... What an opportunity here. I get to preach the day before Independence Day. What does a Bible-believing, kingdom-intentionalist, New Testament Christian feel about a war that by anybody's understanding, even if you believed in the just war theory, was not a just war? A war that that rebelled against a kingdom for money reasons and not for for people reasons. I I mean, put aside the non-resistance true doctrine for a while, it is not a just war. The independence, the, the victory for this country, uh, in, in anybody's books other than our, our American history books, was an unjust war. And yet, here we celebrate it. Here tomorrow we're going to be, uh, possibly some of us going to watch some fireworks, and maybe others who have convictions against such. You know, But there's, there is at least a celebration. There, we're, we're all going to take a day off from work because we have to because the, the banks are closed, right? I mean, I have to be there because of harvest. But... Um, at any rate, it's a, it's a national holiday. What an opportunity the day before to preach on, on what our approach to this. Because after all, this nation was formed and, and made and, and the beginnings were perhaps against God's will, as it were. But what has America done in the world to touch it? We have sent money out to starving people. We have sent more missionaries out than any other country. We have done a lot. This country has actually fulfilled a role in God's kingdom, I think. And so for us not to celebrate it, for us not to think about uh, the fact that there is a unique... Just think about this. We are a trendsetter as a country in the three branches of government. We have a branch of government that went against every political whim that has power in the United States here just recently and said, yeah, abortion's not a freedom of speech issue. <laughs> Which I never could figure that out why that was a freedom of speech issue anyway. But the but there's a branch of government that changed the nation just because of the power that each branch has to check and, and balance each other. That's a unique thing. And so we could talk about do we celebrate, do we don't celebrate? How do we embrace that? But then I, I was asking a member of my family, I said, you know, these are the three things I'm thinking about. The thing I felt like right away when I was asked to, or, or this other sermon or this other sermon, and, uh, and the person I talked to said, you know, we really need to hear about 
the first thing I was thinking about. So that's that's my journey. That's why I struggled this morning. Uh, those kind of, as Glenn would say, those are kind of pre-sermons uh, <laughs> that I did because we're not going to be talking about that at all. Um, what I'm going to be talking about is is a lowly can opener. No, but what I am going to say is this: there's oftentimes there is something that is marvelously engineered as a can opener in your drawer. You pull it out and you use it every day, and you don't even think about it. But if you stop and look at it. The gears that are involved, the ratio of the gears, the way it clamps onto a can. I mean, there's a lot of engineering in this thing. But you never think about it. It's just thrown in the drawer. It's there to be used. Or if it doesn't use, it's thrown in the garbage can, which frequently is at our house. These don't work very well in number 10 cans, which is the ones you get for family size. Um, but th there's engineering in here. There's lots of things. There's, some, there's something I want to talk about today that's kind of like that in our Christian walk. Something that we all experience, all the things that we do. Um, but... Perhaps if we get a chance to break it down and look at it, we can kind of see some of the, the workings of it, the miraculous power of God in it. The title that I want to give uh, to this sermon is, is uh, Done, Doing, and To Do. You know, First, I want to look at what God has done for us. Well, let's make this very personal. Each one of us can say that God has done this for us as an individual. This morning we read, we sang... Uh, in hymn 88, a line that kind of backs up what I had to say. I don't know what hymn that is, but hymn 88. <laughs> it says this great line. Should have had a note on it so we're not wasting time. But it says here, is it out of this book? Yeah. Uh, how art thou my friend, my daily guide, God over all, and yet God with us? Have you ever thought about that? God is over all. He created everything, and yet He has this personal relationship He wants to have with us. And that's, that's what God is, is, has done. Not in the way that our government passes a law and then it affects all of us, but as an act done by a sovereign to you and to one man. God, God didn't just like, create all things and we get to be able to live in this bubble of His creation. That is something He's done and we'll talk about that in just a second. But just think about, He made a way for us to know Him. What He has done is created a relationship. Everything I'm about to say could be said that God did this for me. You know, God did this for Cece. God did this for Jarrell. God did this for Hezekiah. God, God, each one of us can say God has made a way. God has done history in a way to be able to reach us and to touch us. He has a, a mechanism in which to do that. I could, let's say, I could say to look and to refer to what God has done for us, I could say let's start at the beginning, but that would be incorrect. In 1 Peter 1.17 it says, And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundations of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. For though uh, through him believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. 
And I found this verse this morning. Listen to this one. James 1.18 says this, God decided to give us life through the true message He sent to us. He wanted us to be the most important of all that He created. He, this is uh, James 1.18, slightly different translation. But what I'm saying is even before creation, God had a plan knowing that sin was going to end in the world, knowing that there was going to be that. He made a plan before the foundation of the world. So to say start at the beginning would be incorrect. Let's listen to some other things that he's done. Think about this. Ephesians 1.4 Just as he chose us in him. If you're the type to write in your Bibles, I would suggest these thinking about the things that God has done for us. You could underline some of these things in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. You could turn there if you want. Get your pen ready if, you, if you're that type. But Ephesians 1... Verse 4 says this, just as He chose us, this is something He has done. And there's a caveat there, and I can explain later. I don't want to lose my chain of thought here, though. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoptions or adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. This is all His acts towards us. He had a plan for us for adoption. He had a plan to predestine us. Now, I, I, here's my caveat, and I'll just say this. The whole argument about predestination, you've heard me say it before. I believe that anybody who's in Christ has been predestined. It's that position in Christ that's a predestination that he's talking about here. Not uh, John Smith is predestined from before creation. No, but, but there is a way for John Smith to be predestined in Christ. But anyway, I'll go on. Um, having predestined us to adoption as sons in Jesus Christ to himself according to his good pleasure of his will, to the praise and the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Catch that. He made a way. He chose us and he made a way. These are things he's done for us. In him, we have redemption. We have redemption. If we're in him, again, that predestined position is in Him. We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. I just want to, I mean, you can circle that one. <laughs> I mean, I underline it as something He's done, but you can circle that, that He's the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound towards us. That is something He has done. He's, he has not only just forgiven, but He has forgiven specifically to you if you accept Him. In all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us, having made known to us the mystery of His will, there's another thing He has done. He has made known His mystery. It's one thing that He made away. It's another thing that He's made it known to us. And I'll tell you the something we're going to say later. So remember that. According to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times He might gather together in one. That's another thing He's done. He's He's done a way so that we can, we can be together. That there's a body that He had that in mind. Not just individuals, but a body that He wants to bring together of individuals that will serve Him in a body. All things in Christ, but with which are in heaven and which is on earth in Him. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance. There's this, you're going along life 
and you're, you're trying to struggle and all of a sudden you hear that some great uncle or some great aunt died and, he, and all of a sudden you have money to buy a house. You have a money for an operation. You have a money for a new car. I mean, we have an inheritance in Him being predestined according to the purpose of, his, of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. Now, if you're thinking about the marvelous things that God has done for us, that He has made a position for us to be a praise to His glory. That is something He has done that is amazing. In Him, you also trusted. That's another thing. We couldn't have trusted on Him if it wasn't for the works that He's done. In Him, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Another thing He's done is our salvation. In whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. But we were sealed. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption and the purchase possession to the praise of His glory. Brother Mike, did you have to, did you have to give a... a, a, a what's it called? Did you have to give some money when you purchased your house recently? Ahead of time? Yeah. What's that called? Is it not a guarantee. It's a... Earnest money. Earnest money. That's the same word, by the way. The guarantee in earnest is the same money. In fact, in King James, does it say earnest? I forget. Anyway, this is New King James, by the way, I was reading out of. Um, the guarantee of our inheritance. So He has given us the earnest. He's given us His Holy Spirit as, as, a, as a, yes, you've been saved. Yes, there is a salvation and inheritance coming. Here, here's my proof. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit to, to, be, to fill you with praise and to fill you with understanding and to give you wisdom. So that... Uh, until the redemption of the purchased possession of the praise of His glory. So, what has God done? So, Christ has made a way. He has shown a way. He has become a way. He invites us into the way. And He remains forevermore the way. But it is you that He chose. That is, all of those who follow in Christ. And has beyond, uh, that's beyond as great as you can possibly think, but yet there's more. Not only did He make a way of salvation, and I want to make sure it's really clear, that salvation is a thing of God and He did it for you. It's a done thing. Salvation. Oh, sorry. Salvation. It happens. Um, he, before time began, He created a plan for us to be saved. What God has done is an individual thing for you. He looked at your heart and said, what do you need? And he made a plan. He said, this is what's going to happen. He told Eve that it was going to happen. Was, there's, there's all sorts of promises that I could have gone into. But what he has done is he made the salvation. But think about this also in a collective sort of way. Um, just for being part of his creation, we are given the gift of his creation. Did you wake up this morning? I'm assuming that's the case. I didn't see anybody be pulled in here with a dolly or a... Or a, a, some sort of you know thing with wheels, um, but that means you had rest. That means you had air to breathe all through the night. That's you thought about how miraculous. That's just something we just normally take for granted. We have air. It's a mixture of things that we couldn't just do. It's a, it's something that He created for us, and, and we had rest, and we had air to breathe, and we, and we had darkness to calm the body. Listen to this. I this was. This was, uh, it, it, it hit me when I found this little bit of research, and I want to share it with you. Uh, Genesis 1 3, 
Again, these are one of the things you just kind of gloss over as you're reading. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light and it was good. And God divided, catch that word divided, the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Okay, I've read that verse a thousand some odd times, different translations, just keep kind of push through it. But listen to this. I found a news, uh, a research article from 2001, May 17, 2001. This is reported on an ABC uh, webpage that says this. Look at North America from a satellite at night and it glows. Nobody meant this to happen. And it has a devastating effect on our health. It turns out that we need darkness to make our immune system work. Health scientists have now discovered only when it's really dark can the body produce the hormone called melatonin. Melatonin fights diseases, including breast and prostate cancer. It turns off the cancer cells from growing, says Joan Roberts, a photobiologist. But if there's even a little light around your bed at night, your melatonin production switches off. So that there may, so there may be this natural way that Mother Nature, really, <laughs> Mother Nature, um, but Father God, <laughs> there, there may be a natural way that Father God has given us that is dark night to keep certain cancers under control. Robert said, even watching TV turns on our, our other immune system hormones that should be active only during daytime. And get this, this, this is fascinating to me. All those who look at your phones late into the night or or study and do things really late at night, doing catch-up, whatever. But listen to this. It says, um, even watching television or, or whatever lights that you're looking at, uh, it turns on your immune system, so it's fighting colds and bugs and germs and fuel, fuels, uh, fuel <laughs> flus and such. And it says this, they get depleted, and you're more likely to catch a cold. So if we're using our immune system all the time, even late into the night, then when we get actually in touch with a cold or germs, then we, that system has been depleted already. Nature needs darkness too. The immune system of animals grows weak if there's artificial light through the night. So darkness is important. Who created darkness? God, for us. But wait a minute. What about light? He also created the light. This is from another research study. In the cold, short days of winter, the darkness outside seems to be seems to correlate with the darkened mood within us. In this observation, that goes back to at least as far as Hippocrates. The, you guys ever heard about the Hippocratic Oath? Swear to do no harm to anybody. Okay, so some Greek guy who was in touch with doctors, um, he even noticed that that when people when it's darker out, people get more depressed. Modern science has shown that January and February are the highest months of the year. For the 6% of Americans who suffer from seasonal affective disorder, or SAD, with symptoms including poor cognition, oversleeping, feeling of worthlessness, and weight gain. But darkness can affect all of us in a surprising way. Scientists suggest that darkness can do all kinds of things to the human body and the brain. It can make us more likely to lie, to cheat, to make mistakes at work, and even see things that we don't normally see. More recently, a 2015 study comparing rates of depression among workers in the daylight depraved Sweden in the Arctic Circle and Brazil, not in the Arctic Circle, that the Arctic workers were more prone to develop depression and more likely to feel like they weren't getting enough sleep. 
A study of nurses in Alaska found that they made almost twice as many medical medication errors in the darkness of midwinter than they did in fall. And that's from a PubMed research papers. So I, I, maybe there's a reason why people who are, are fighting cancer and, and getting their teeth replaced and things like that go to Mexico because the doctors down there make less mistakes than doctors up here. In, I, don't I don't know, maybe. Uh, that's just a study about the health benefits of light and darkness. God separated light from darkness. God gave us a gift and we don't even think about it. We take it for granted. It's nighttime. It's daytime. You know, if we could just get some more artificial lights, we can get some more work done. God said, I separated day and night. By the way, Gussie children, that's why lately I've been turning off the hallway light. We don't need light. We can find our way to the bathroom. That's, um, think of the balance system that the Lord has given. Not only this night and thing, but uh, how the sun interacts with water, creating rain, uh, sucking up water, dehydrating water out of the oceans, getting the salt out of it by, just de by taking the water out of it and taking it over the mountains and dumping it off into places that don't have any reason for water to be to existing. The plains and, and where all those, if you drive through Indiana and all that corn and all that stuff, it, it, the water's there because of this whole system that God created with the sun and with gravity and tides. And God created a world for us to be able to enjoy. He created oxygen and He... And he sucks the wind from one place to another. And think how the, the earth with all its hills and its valleys and wet ground and dry ground and how that all works together to, to bless us and where we live. You know, for, for um, one part of the world to experience a drought, another part increases water. Right now, I don't know if you guys have been reading or, or hearing about Lake Mead and the devastating things that are happening down in Las Vegas and that area. They, they have, uh, their water level has dropped over 200 feet in Lake Mead. And that's the main energy supply, main water supply for Las Vegas City. Which, you know, if it goes off the map, I'm not, you know. But, but anyway, that's a, that's a pretty big 200 feet it's dropped so far. And there's no sign of it going away. Meanwhile, our snowpacks and our rainfall in Oregon has been increased tremendously. So, so if, if we could just take sin and selfishness out of it and political things out of it, we could... God has set up a, an atmosphere inside this ball that we live in that can bless everybody. It's just politics that keeps water away from people and food away from things. There's a drought over here. There's a reason why there's a drought. Maybe there's some blight that needs to die. But God can bring food, can bring water, etc. Anyway, going on. Um, he didn't have to do that all for us. His love created a world of peace and beauty. And we are the ones that cause the wars and the suffering. Before all was made, he had you in mind. Made a plan of salvation before the fall of man. And then he made earth and all the stars. And he came and he dwelt among us. So his plan of salvation was before creation. Then he made salvation. And then he made an earth for us to be blessed with. And then after the earth, he came and dwelt among us. He lived with us. What a blessing! <laughs> Very God. Well, don't look at it too closely, Randy. I, I, I sloppy handwriting for a purpose. All right, <laughs> squinting back there. So he, he. There's no either. All right. There's no either. All right. There. Are you happy? <laughs> there's something more. There's no e. e. Yeah, that's an e. <laughs> D E W L T. Uh, D E W L T. Right? No. That's what the web said. 
So, <laughs> so he, huh? Preach. All right, I'll go back to that. Yeah. All right. So, so he made all these things. He's done all these things for us. This is what he has done for us. In Psalms 8:4, it says this: "What is man that you're mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him?" And the Psalms, it's even visited him. God is, he knew God was going to come down, right? He knew he himself was going to be here. Not just in a Christophany, not just in an appearance of Christ before the birth of Christ, but he knew that he was going to come and visit us. He's going to dwell with us. Who am I that the very God of all there is, was, and will be, took the time to invite me into his kingdom? We'd, I just didn't stumble upon an invite. He made sure that there was a fella. No, let's even back up. He made sure that there was a friend that I wanted to be closer with in high school that uh, I debated Christians. I love debating Christians. Most Christians don't know what they're talking about. And it was a lot of fun just shooting them down. But there was a friend I didn't want to shoot down. And that person invited me to a youth group. And then there was a pastor there who answered all of my questions. And I couldn't shoot him down. God created that. He made it, in, he made it an invite that was specific to me. It wasn't just parents who shared me with me or a church service who shared with me or a movie that really touched my heart. For me, he knew I, had, I was a debated mind or I had a, a heart that wanted to debate all the time and there was a man that could answer all my questions. And he slowly, carefully, and lovely, uh, love, lovingly walked me through my questions. And God made that just for me to be able to hear. So who am I that he would make that personal invite into the kingdom? You know, I, I bet if I, I don't even know who it is right now, but if I found out who the mayor of Halsey was, yeah, is, I could probably find that man or woman, I don't know who it is now, and I could say, hey, can I come by and talk to you for a while? And I bet you that person would probably make time for me. But if I was in Eugene, probably couldn't spend much time with the mayor down there. I'd probably have to make an appointment a couple weeks out. I'd have to tell him what I'm thinking about ahead of time. I mean, there would be... There, it would be hard-pressed to get a, a, an appointment with that mayor. What about the governor? I don't think I'm just going to, hey, I just want to sit down and talk. I don't really have anything to talk about. I just want to talk to you. Um, I don't think I'm going to be able to have that appointment with the governor. Or how about a senator? Or how, and just go up the chain, the president of the United States, having time just to sit down and talk. I'm like, but the God of all the universe who created all of this, he has made a way so I can have a personal relationship with through the Holy Spirit, through His Word, through His body. I mean, He has developed a relationship that nobody on earth can possibly do. This is the things that God has done for us. Don't take it for granted. Don't take it for granted. This is, this is amazing stuff. It was tailor-made for me to hear. But it doesn't end there. In John 14, 1 says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, as a side note, I just, I just want to be honest before you and be a man of integrity as much as I can. I don't think that's talking about heaven. I don't think that's talking about creating the earth. I don't think he's talking about mansions like that. I think... In the context of the story, my personal belief is that the context is that he's saying, I'm going to go to the cross and die to prepare a place in the body of Christ for you. But 
that aside, just if you read it plainly, it does it does appear that that there there's a future hope for us, right? It does appear that he's making something future for us. A future. Heaven is described elsewhere and it's beautiful and beyond description. It's all sorts of scriptures about heaven. So before creation, during creation, and then into the future, he has prepared a place for us. If it wasn't for his action on the cross, if it wasn't for his resurrection and placing us in the body, there wouldn't be this ongoing relationship that goes on for eternity. God has done. That is what I'm trying to say the most. Don't get lost in the weeds of spelling. What, I have, what I'm trying to establish is that God has done for us. He has done great and marvelous things for us. And there's too many things to go on about here. That His Word. What about His Word? Can we talk just a second about His Word? What He has done for us is giving 66 love letters that not only describe... What others have done who tried to follow him and their failures and their successes and what God has done with their failures and their successes. Not only that, not only that, but he's given us a section that just talks about praise, how to praise him and when to praise him. And there are more lamenting psalms than there are praise psalms. He's taught us how to lament. Do you ever feel like in your life there's more tragedy and more darkness than there is light sometimes? He's taught us how to react to that through the psalms. He's given us wisdom and Proverbs. He's In the New Testament, it's a record of very God walking with His people. And then giving that authority that He has as God to a group of men to write letters. The epistles. I mean, this is what God has done. He has done great and marvelous things from before time to even right up to now. He has done amazing things. Um, and there's just way too many things to go on about. I, I we could talk about the word for a while. We could talk about all sorts of things that he's done. Um, his words, his future, to know that he feels his offer of salvation, his death on the cross, his Holy Spirit. You want to you want to be thankful for something he has done for us. He's given us his Holy Spirit, his promise, and his commitments to us. All things he has done for us. Now let me just for a second, let me let me pause and just just no, I'm not going to pause. I'll just say that that Webster gives a really good definition of this word I've been playing with today, action. There's an action. Do I'm 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 teasing out this this uh, I'm uh, what, okay, all you homeschooler mothers, what's the word when you conjugate? I'm conjugating. I'm conjugating this word action, right? I'm doing done done uh, to do and what's what the word what we're, what we're supposed to be doing and what to do. So, what he has done is an action. He's actioned towards us many things. A plan of salvation, a creation, a presence, a promise. He's done many, many, many things for us. So let's move off from that just a minute. We're thinking about what he has done. Now we're thinking about what we're called to be, to be doing. Now, <clears throat> what we're supposed to be doing in response. And that's, that's what hit me. He's done all these things. So in response, I want to do some things. I'm called to do some things. And what does he want to find uh, me doing when he returns? Are we even supposed to be doing anything? Are we supposed to be just resting in him, right? Is that what some would preach? We're not supposed to really doing anything. <clears throat> because he's done all these things. We don't really need to do anything. Well, hmm, that's not how James says it. In James 1.22 says, be, uh, But be doers of the word. And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I believe the very first thing that we're supposed 
to do. The very thing that we're supposed to be called to do is the work of God. What's the work of God? John, Jesus says it himself, John 6.23, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in Him who He has sent. I think the very first thing we need to do is believe. Now that's a loaded word. Is it not, brothers and sisters? <laughs> if you really believe that God is God, are you going to act the way that those who don't believe Him is He's God? I mean, that, that's, a, that's a loaded word, just to believe. The devils know we believe. We are called to believe. The work of God that we're supposed to be busy about is believing. And if we really believe, then we believe what He has done. We believe that. But if that belief doesn't change anything, what does it really do? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go through these, these Scriptures real quick. You can write down the references. I'll say the references. I don't suggest turning to them because we're just going to blow through these things. These are the things that we're called to do, I think, in response to the very fact that He's done all these things for us. He's called us to believe. What does that look like? John 14, 15. If you love Me, keep My commandments. That, by the way, did you ever know that that's an echo of something in the Old Testament? Leviticus, of all places, my favorite book to read. Um, Leviticus 18, 4 says this, You shall observe My judgments and keep My ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. In Proverbs 3, 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lead not on your own understanding. These are, these are things that we are to be doing. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Micah 6, 8 says this, For He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? Matthew 6.33 Seek first the kingdom of God. And Mark 16.15 uh, And He said to them, Go into all the earth and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. In Romans 12.21 Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In Philippians 3.14, I press towards the mark for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as mature and have to have this mind, etc. Hebrews 12.1, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of uh, the right hand of the throne of God. Again, this is in response to what He did. He just this is what He's saying in Hebrews. In response to what He has done, we got this calling on our life to be doing right. Titus 2.6 Likewise, exhort the young man to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourselves to be a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, uh, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, and one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. This is all stuff we're supposed to do in response. Don't just take it for granted. Yeah, this is what we're supposed to be doing. This, this is in response to what he has done. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will, be, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. 1 Peter 1.15 
But he who has called you is holy. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. First Peter 3.15 But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you with meekness and fear, having good conscience, that when they defame you as the evildoers, uh, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame. 1 Peter 4, 7, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracle of God. If anyone ministers, let him do so with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through, through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Back to 2 Peter 1.5, but also those the, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge of self-control, or self-control, and to self-control perseverance, to per perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither, uh, uh, for you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's, here's another one, 2 Peter 3.14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to all these things, be diligent to be found in Him in peace without spot and blameless. I could have gone on and on and on. He has given many things that change our heart from where we could be just fleshly. If we truly believe, that, then we are in response to what He's truly done. Okay? So, two more. This one's a little bit more out there, and I, I just uh, uh, in Genesis 26 too it says, "Then the Lord appeared to him and said, "Do not go down into Egypt, live in the land which I shall tell you." And I've heard over and over again, when you read the word Egypt in the Old Testament, it's, it's a picture for the flesh. So can we read it that way? Then the Lord appeared to him and said, "Do not go back to your flesh, but live in the promise, the land, the, the, the area I prepared for you, which is what? Salvation. Right? So our belief is that we don't try to do it our own way and try to figure things out in our own way. We're not trying to do the things that a, a non-believer would do and make sure we hedge all our bets and we get everything lined up just in case. No, in the belief, we are not going back to our flesh, but we're going to the place where he's told us to dwell. And that's in his word, that's in his spirit, that's in obedience, that's in his body. That I mean, on and on and on. All the things that he's prepared for us, all the things he's done, we're going back to what he's done. All right. Moving on. So, in the to be doing category, I have this to say. All the things that he has done for us. And all the things that we do in response to him. Create this nice covering. This nice archway. This, this uh, grape arborum that you walk underneath where it's, it's shaded. And in that shade, something has to happen. If there's truly a strong support over here saying, I do believe, and it has changed my life because of all the things he's done, there's something that's happening right here. It's the to be doing. John 15, 12 says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. It's others. How do we treat others? See, this... You could say, if I was the only person, God would have done this for me because He loves me so much. You could say that. And, and I want to respond to Him in that love by following and obeying what He has to say. 
And if those two things are strong, then we have a natural calling and a natural desire and a want and a, and a push to love others. That's the motivation to love others. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that, you've been re- that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This is one body, and one, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called into one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Ephesians 4.32 And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. In Philippians 2, 1-4, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love... Are you guys seeing the archway here I'm trying to talk about? If these done these things, and if you truly believe them, if you have any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the Spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility... Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. This, this, there is so much neat stuff happening under this protection of those two strong belief, those two strong towers, those two rails, these two four by fours or six by sixes or eight by eights. You, you got, you got what has been done and what we need to be doing over here and what needs to be done down here. Is this love one for another? And above all things, be fervent in love. I'm sorry, 1 Peter 4, 8. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for God will cover over a multitude of sins. Be hospital, uh, um, hospitable to one another without grumbling. Proverbs 19:17. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay. Proverbs 3:27. Do not withhold good from those to whom good is due. When it is in the power of your hand to do so, do not say to your neighbor, go and come back again tomorrow. I will give it then when you have it with you. Do not devise an evil against your neighbor, for he, uh, for he dwells by you for safety's sake. Do not strive with man without cause if he, will not, uh, if he does you no harm. And, and I could go into Romans. I could go into uh, Romans chapter 12. Our family verses is strong about this. Practicing hospitality. Be kindly affection to one another. Brotherly love. Uh, weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. I mean, that whole section is about how we're supposed to be treating each other. And that whole section is, is empowered and protected by this, are you changed? Are you in response to what he has done? First um, Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you are also doing and we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the joy in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them with high, uh, very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace amongst yourselves. And Hebrews 13.16 talks a little bit more about that. Luke 6.31 has a nice section about not judging. Um, Matthew 5.40 If anyone wants you to sue you, etc., you know those verses. And we're just going to throw through those. Uh, whoever receives, this is Matthew 18, whoever receives one little child uh, like this in my name receives me. Whoever causes one of these little children 
uh, those who believe in me to sin, it would be better for them millstone hung around their neck, etc. Matthew 25, 31, the Son of Man will come again with divine, with uh, great... Now listen to this. I purposely chose a translation that's completely different than your experience of this one because we've all heard this one. And this is important enough. I'm actually going to read it. So this, listen to this in this context. We believe and are in response to that belief of what he has done. This is happening. The Son of Man will come again with great... Uh, with divine greatness, and all his angels will come with him. He will set as king on the great and glorious throne. All the people of the world will be gathered before him. Then he will separate everyone into two groups. It will be like a shepherd, shepherding or separating his sheep from his goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to the godly people on his right, Come, my father has great blessings for you. The kingdom he promised is now yours. It has been prepared for you since the world was made. It is yours because when I was hungry, you gave me food to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I had no place to stay, you welcomed me into your home. When I was without clothes, you gave me something to wear. When I was sick, you cared for me. When I was in prison, you came to visit me. Then the godly people will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and give you food? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you with no place to stay and welcome you into our home? When did we see you without clothes and give you something to wear? When did we see you sick or in prison and not and, and care for you? Then the king will answer, The truth is, everything you did for them of my people here, you also did for me. Then the king will say to the evil people on his left, Get away from me. God has already decided that you will be punished. Go into the fire that burns forever, the fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels. You must go away because when I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. When I had no place to stay, you did not welcome me into your home. When I was without clothes, you gave me nothing to wear. When I was sick and in prison, you did not care for me. When those people will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? When did we see you without a place to stay? Or, or when did we see you without clothes or sick or, uh, sick or in prison? When did we see any of these things and not help you? And the king will answer, the truth is, anything you refuse to do for any of my people here, you refuse to do for me. When these evil people will do, uh, uh, when, then these evil, evil people will go away to be punished forever. But the godly people will go and enjoy eternal life. You know, there's so many more verses I could go on. I actually skipped a lot. There's so many verses I could go on about how we are called to treat one another. Again, I'll just throw out another advertisement. If you guys are on a long journey and, and you want to listen to a top-notch sermon, Denny Kennison's Others, bar none. That is just probably the best sermon I've heard. Um, it's just a great verse. But that concept of blessing others, that loving one another, all that happens because you believe. This is what you're called to do. This is what he's done. Remember what he's done. Remind yourself of what he's done. Remind one another of what he's done. And this is the beautiful thing, guys. I got this nice arch here. And I got this, this thing here. I want to show you something. I never would have believed anything he'd done. Anything he had done. I would never believe this pillar. It wasn't in me. It wasn't part of my heritage. My parents weren't churchgoers. I never would have I never would have been over here establishing this four by four, six by six, eight by eight post. I never would have been over here having my life changed. 
in order to have this in my life. If it wasn't for somebody else who believed this and out of this took their time and their effort. I mean, Brother Roger knows me well enough to know that it takes time to change my course. I, I, I got a course. I got a belief. I got, yeah, this is how I believe. He took the time and the effort. He met with me when it, out, right, he would be outside the school and he'd pick me up and we would go out someplace and just talk. He answered every question. And then, and then, <laughs> you know, on a personal level, he must have spent months with me. And then when somebody else came and set me down and said, okay, so you have no more objections. What's keeping you from accepting the Lord? I guess nothing. And I prayed with him. The fellow that did all that work of planting wasn't there when something sprouted out of the ground. And was he like bummed? No, can you imagine? He was excited. He was beyond excited. He was so happy for me. Lauren Davis is the man that I'm talking about. And Sean McCartan is the guy who did the final prayer. Sean McCartan was the fellow that I was able to find and, and he uh, married my wife and I. So there was a part in my life. But, but Lauren Davis, not a pastor. I, last I heard... Last I heard, he's, he's not living too well. Um, but, but there was a time in his life he was faithful. He believed all of this. And because of that, he poured his life into an obstinate, argumentative, pimple-faced teenager. And, and I accepted the Lord because of it. All of his work. He believed all this. Now, listen. That was a divine appointment. You guys all have a divine appointment. There is somebody in your life that you just maybe don't want to spend much time with. Maybe there's there's a boss. Maybe there's some... Ooh, that hit. <laughs> maybe, huh. uh, maybe there's there's somebody in your life that you can't wait to get away from. But it could be that God is saying, do you really believe that I have done? What does your belief look like? And, and how is it acting? What is it doing? Not just what it looks like. Because I can believe all those things and, and have this wonderful relationship with the Lord. But I'm called to go beyond this just a relationship with the Lord. I'm called to have a relationship with you guys. And I haven't even hit upon the fact that, that anybody that stands up here has a privilege to be able to speak a challenge into your life. Yeah, that's part of that. But I'm just talking about the unsaved. I'm talking about the people that you know need the Lord. Are we doing? He is done, and 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 over there we we have a done as well, as it were. But are we doing? So, Lord, I just I just pray, Father, that as we read Your Word, You just continue this relationship with us, because Lord, I don't. There is nothing in my flesh that wants to go share You or or share victories or or anything like that, Lord. If there's anything in my flesh that goes towards you, it's uh, what can you do for me? What have you done for me? What, um, you know, Lord, I, I, I need this done in my life and I need that done in my life. I need a healing over here and I need, a, uh, I need, you know, whatever. But Lord, beyond that, you've called me to have a concern and a love and an outreach that reflects what you've done. I thank you, God, for everything you prepared for us. Everything beautiful, wonderful thing that you've done for us, Lord. Help us to be more in cooperative uh, spirit with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for your time and your attention.
I know we're all running late, um, but you stuck with me. Thank you.